Hello, it's Wednesday, it's noontime, and you are here, and we're so glad. My name is Tim, and I'm in the studio today with my good friend Chris. We're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the seven seals of judgment. I hope you're ready for this. I am. And guess what? Today, we have a live studio audience. (laughs) And I have these little cheap things here. All right. This is the deep end. All right, all right, all right. This is something new at the Deep End live studio audience. And if you are interested in being in a live studio audience, then email us. Let us know. I don't even know if we have an email. Sure. We do. Ask at thedeepend.tv. Ask at thedeepend.tv. So let's get a good shot of the audience one more time, Michael, over there. Thank you. Hello. Wave, everybody. You're on camera live in front of the whole world, just like the Truman Show. Remember the Truman Show? I do. It was, it was a great Jim movie. Jim Carrey movie, great movie. Were you in Hollywood when that came out? Yes. Chris was in Hollywood, everybody. He knows the biz. So. Eight whole years. Eight whole years. <laughs> it was funny. I was watching a TV show the other night. I told Michael this earlier and ran across a guy I graduated with. Really? had a moment of jealousy and then I moved on. Oh, yeah. yeah. On TV? On, on a show I was watching. So was like, he made it and you're at Waterstone. I made it. He's That's in right. Hollywood. Yes. Just made it, yes. everybody. Come on. Come on. my hand. <laughs> Ooh. 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 <laughs> See, we have these little signs now for the uh, audience, and this is how we're going to do this. Um, I am an approval addict, so I need people to think that I'm sa- I'm saying something wise when I'm very smart. Mm-hmm. So we have these little. Ooh. Yeah, we have that. That's for. Can we get that on the camera? There we go. And then we have this one. Ah. Very good. And they are such an amenable audience they over there. Thank are you, you so much over there. Are you going to use these in church services? I'm wondering. Next. Well, fifty percent of those people. People are paid to be here. Okay. So (laughs) that's how it goes around here. But this is The Deep End, everybody. Episode 12 of Season 2. And we are in the book of Revelation, Chapter 6. Now, what we asked the studio audience to do was uh, pre-read Revelation, Chapter 6. I'm hoping that you did that. Did you do that? Yeah? Some of you? Some confident nods. A few just blank stares. That's okay. Uh, we're going to just go through that, but we want to talk about the news first. So what's in the news? Chris McEwen, tell us. The news. Oh, okay. Interestingly enough, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is... You butchered that name. I, I, I tried. Alexandria. Exa- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Cortez. Who is what? Who is, who, who is she? She's the youngest uh, new Democratic superstar and pretty much a socialist. <laughs> U.S. Congressman. And you, okay, you, U.S. Let's Congressman. be nonpartisan here. I'm nonpartisan. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And biased. <laughs> unbiased. Yes, unbiased reporting. Unbiased, not biased. Chris McEwen over here. All right, so she made two alarming comments yesterday. Yes. Just yesterday. Okay. One was it's uh, it's immoral to have billionaires when some don't have health care. Okay. She actually said it's immoral to have billionaires when uh, some people in Arkansas still have ringworm. And, and I, uh, I didn't know that that was a problem. Ringworm. Ringworm in Arkansas. Only in Arkansas? Or is that a global She cited Arkansas, so I'm going to go with uh, uh, Cortez on this one. By the way, how do you get ringworm? I didn't even know that was still a thing. We have vaccines for it, so it means you're not getting... She's basically saying we need need health care for everybody. Okay. But in the same sentence, she said, well, not all billionaires are bad. Yes, because, because I saw that. She, does, she likes Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett and, and Bill Gates, she likes. Who also happen to be Democratic donors. And that's why she <laughs> so, likes them. As a convenient little exemption to yes. the rule there. So, so okay. as long as you are her friend, then it's okay to be a billionaire. All right. 
And and what then else? well, she also said that um, what was this other one? It was okay. The world will end in twelve years if we don't address climate change. Yes, I read this one too. Twelve years. Now, this was a report in October as well from the UN. The UN reported that we have 12 years left. Correct. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just funny how she was responded because she responded like a millennial. She's like, and, and the younger generation is looking up to us. And we're like, well, I don't know. The world's going to end in 12 years if we don't do something about well, it. Well, I just heard about this now. I mean, I'm not saying, well, what's up, you know, who cares? I, I'm, I'm concerned. You are concerned? I am. Let's do something about it. Well, what about when, um, when Al Gore said just 10 years ago that New York would be underwater by 2015? It's 2019. It's 2019 now, yeah. And it's, and it's not still, underwater. It's not underwater yet. So, and that's under a hashtag useful the climate good news, idiots. The good news about climate change is that you can always just change the news. Change it, right. Because when I remember it started, it was global warming. Yeah. And that didn't fit then, a yeah, wide then enough. The, then the climate cooled it's and now change. it's going to be climate change, right? Yes. So now, whatever. And I, and I read these articles too. There's a couple of articles out there from October report. From, from an October report, the UN said that if we do nothing... So obviously we have to change a lot of things mm -hmm. and force a lot of people to do a lot of different things to make sure that we last longer no than 12 straws. years. Because I guess at the 12-year mark from now, we reach the point of no return. So this is a, this is a picture up <laughs> on the screen from the New York Post article that I read. And I was just thinking like, you know, if your kid is sitting there in that, <laughs> in that environment, I'm not sure I'm reaching from my phone at that moment. No, where's it? Where's his ball? Where's I mean, poor kid. No what dog. parent brings their kid to that <laughs> to that setting? I don't know. But anyway, I always love the the global or the climate change alarmist articles photos. I think wow, that looks anyway. That looks photoshopped. And then this one is from Yemen. This is a uh, Yemen where they are experiencing a tremendous drought. And this is from Vox.com, the very nonpartisan site. Vox. <laughs> um, and Yemen is experiencing a very vicious drought this year uh, <clears throat> and they're saying this is proof that there is such a thing as climate change and if we don't do something uh, places like Yemen here will struggle now what they don't report about Yemen and there's always another side to the story with these kind of things of course Yemen for people who don't know is uh, one of the most dangerous nations on earth uh, for non-Muslims. People oh. don't know this. Yeah, I didn't. It is a Muslim country. Uh, Sharia law is state-sanctioned law, right. which, by the way, those of you who are unfamiliar with Sharia law, that actually pr um, provides the opportunity for a husband to beat his wife into submission. Right. So this is Yemen, where there's a drought. And also, it's also one of the worst countries for Christians. Christians are... Um, repeatedly, uh, oh, I'm sorry, if you convert from Islam to Christianity in Yemen, you you might die. Yeah. And this is state-sanctioned death. Wow. Uh, and uh, you don't have the economic freedoms, you don't have the personal freedoms of Muslims if you are a convert from Islam to Christianity. The, these are the countries where droughts are happening. And I'm just, you know, sometimes you think this is why you need to get a different perspective and come to church because... Maybe God might be bringing a little bit of judgment on a nation that constantly hurts his people. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know. That's just like my thought. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's, you know, from Sinai or anything. Sure. But I'm saying that maybe that there's a reason why countries that continuously persecute Christians also experience a lot of economic instability. Yeah. 
I don't know. We'll see about that. Well, as we get into um, as we get into the deep end, we'll see uh, Revelation today. We'll see about that. And then I have bad news too for climate alarmists. Uh, climate alarmists who um, and I'm talking about the people, and you know who these people are. The people who want to tell the rest of the people what to do. What to do? Yeah. No straws. No plastic right. bags. Yeah. I got bad news. Um, have you ever met people? Because, <laughs> yeah, good luck. They don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't. In fact, uh, if there's anybody that knows that people don't like being told what to do, um, it's God. Yeah. He, yeah he's yeah. been struggling with this since the Garden of Eden. I mean, he created a perfect situation, gave them free reign of the land, and had one tree. Just one. Mm. There's like billions of trees. He's like, just one. Just one, please. Don't eat that one. What do they do? <laughs> like, <laughs> like children to the hot stove. I need to touch it. He said no, so therefore I must touch. Right. And it's like these climate alarmists, they don't get it. When you try to tell people what to do, you get a lot of kickback from people because they don't like being told what to do. And Jesus knows this more than anyone. I mean, he was God in the flesh, and he came and told people what to do, and what did they do with him? They killed him. Right. And I'm thinking about this, too, because... Uh, I'm only mentioning this because this is why we aren't partisan at Waters Church, although, Chris, I think you kind of shaded into partisanship today. Just a little bit. I I tend to do that. Just a little bit. I don't know. Studio audience, I don't know if you agree. Just a little bit anyway. A little little forgiveness over there. It's all right. We still love you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we still love you, Chris. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. But I was thinking about this because we are not partisan and, pol- and political in this church. We preach the gospel because the gospel changes the heart which changes the will, which helps people to do what they normally wouldn't want to do, right? right. That's yeah. the message of Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Otherwise, you're fighting an uphill battle against this sinful condition of mankind, which is stubborn. Stubborn. I said this on Sunday at our church. You know, you just have to have a child to realize that, you know, by nature, people do not do what they're supposed right. to do. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, say I have a hypothetical. This is the third news item we want to talk about today is say you were a business owner and your business is to make money in business. At the end of the day, that's really what it is to make a product and make money and to feed your family. And say you're a business owner and the largest venue of sports mm. is coming right in front of your store for. Eight hours on one day. Sure. What's the smart thing to do if you're that business owner? Uh, to stay open. Stay open. Yeah. Right. Open I, your doors and right. serve the make, build make millions money. of <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people that could be coming to your door. Definitely. Well, guess what? Super Bowl Sunday is coming, and our beloved New England Patriots are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> excited. Oh, we're excited. Well trained. Yes. The New England Patriots, America's team, everybody. We have taken over from the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, nine? Nine Super Bowls? Eleven in total. Okay, nine Nine with Belichick and Brady. Wow. The killer bees. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, ooh, Take that, that Kansas City fans. Take that. Yeah. All right. You thought you had something, but... Not so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, partisanship. Over here. The Super Bowl is in Atlanta. Atlanta is the home of Chick Fil A, and in the stadium where the Super Bowl is going to be held is a Chick Fil A uh, restaurant, and they have decided they're closing their doors on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, a a beautiful opportunity to make lots and lots of money. Uh, TMZ reports that the amount of uh, income that they will lose by staying closed is a half a million dollars. Wow. Probably more. Wow. And they're staying by that conviction for them. to say, we do not bow at the foot of 
the god of money, but yeah. we bow before the god that we founded this country, this this company on the the, the Christian principle of giving their employees a day of rest. Yeah, I just think that's an amazing testimony yeah, right there. Really you want to is. talk about Christians being Christians, and and I know non Christians work for Chick Fil A. They don't they don't discriminate about that at all. But I'm just saying that what a beautiful picture for the world to see that no money is not God. God is God. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. That's wonderful. So why do we talk about that? Because we're going to the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about money as we get into this, um, into this chapter 6 segment of Revelation, and we're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Lots of confusion in the church world about this. Let's go. Book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Okay, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And... Revelation chapter 6, if, if you aren't confused when you get to Revelation chapter 6, um, you, you're probably not mentally engaged because this is where the rubber kind of hits the road with people. You know, we get the idea that the Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, the seven churches, pretty easy to understand messages there. Revelation chapter 4, throne room of heaven. Revelation chapter 5, still throne room of heaven, worshiping Jesus. Everybody's worshiping, you know, Jesus is the lion, the lamb, and all that kind of thing that we were talking about last time. But when you get to chapter 6, now we get into the, you know, the meat, the meat of the message of Revelation. And before we go in there, I just kind of want to do a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of a review. Now, one of our uh, studio audience members, Chris, came Mm -hmm. in here with uh, detailed notes from one of our previous episodes, John Buchanan in our audience there. John, just wave. John, he Eight showed plus. me, I was trying to write this down on the whiteboard over here, the, uh, the four views of Revelation, yeah. and he's like, hey, do you need help? Okay. <laughs> he showed me his notes, and they were all so detailed, I actually took them and He's <laughs> a writer what for I the said. deep end over there. So over here on the, on the whiteboard, we have it listed, uh, what are the four views of Revelation? And these are pretty much historically throughout Christianity, this is the four views that people have interpreted Revelation through. So we have the preterist view of Revelation, which means that the whole book is just talking about nothing past A.D. 70. Why A.D. 70? Because in A.D. 70, uh, the fall of Jerusalem happens. The Romans go in, they burn everybody pretty much. They starve the city out, then they burn everybody alive, and then they just pillage the whole the whole war, uh, the whole city, and is destroyed up until uh, as 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 recently as the last century, and so that's the preterist view. The historicist view uh, looks at Revelation as a picture of from A.D. thirty three. Of course, that's about when Jesus rose from the grave and the gospel starts to get preached until the end of time, and and that's an open ended time. So this is the historicist. The whole history of Christianity is being viewed in Revelation. Then there's the futurist view, which is. The one that I grew up with, I don't know if you didn't grow up in the church, no. but I grew up with this, the Hal Lindsey. Anybody in the audience remember Hal Lindsey? You know, um, this is the, the idea that the book of Revelation is detailing nothing other than, well, after, of course, Revelation chapter 5, nothing but the last seven years of uh, history. We call this period the tribulation. Um, some even go to, so far as to divide it into the uh, tribulation, the first three and a half years of that seven years, and then the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of that seven years. And so the futurist, and then the spiritual view or the idealist view, which I have over there on the whiteboard, which is the idea that Revelation is presenting the gospel narrative in symbols. Yep. So Interesting? I don't yeah, know. Interesting, no. But that's interesting to me because a lot of people only think that there's one view of Revelation, and that's sure. just not true. There's many views. There's at least four. <laughs> uh, and so 
what do you, you know, the first thought that comes to mind is what is my view? Uh, I think you'll pick that up as we get through Revelation. Um, but I, I will say that I was born and raised a futurist, and I'm not a futurist anymore. Mm-hmm. So that might sound a little bit um, crazy for some futurist friends out there. And I, uh, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad. But I am saying that I think it's a very limited view of Revelation. Because think about this. If the book of Revelation is only about the last seven years of human history, mm-hmm. then it really has nothing to say for uh, what, 2,000 years right. of not being the last seven years of human history. And so what do those people do? They just say, oh, don't worry about that. That's for, <laughs> you know, the last seven years. Don't worry about that. We're not there yet. And then, of course, it could also be not of it, not applicable to us today because we might not be in the last seven years of human history. Right. Of course, according to the UN, we're in the last 12 years. 12 so years we're getting there. 12, we're getting yes. close. But nonetheless... What you need to do, and I think this is a great question to ask yourself, when you, when you go to the book of Revelation, if you were to read the book of Revelation without hearing how you should read the book of Revelation before you read the book of Revelation, what would you, what would you see? Mm. Does that make sense? Because, yeah. you know what I'm saying? In other words, if somebody doesn't first tell you, oh, Revelation is about this last seven years, and you went to the book without knowing that, mm. I think you might not leave the book by saying, oh, it's definitely about the last seven years of human history. Right. Likewise, if someone said, well, no, this is actually only about the first 35 years of Christian history, the preterist view. If nobody ever tells you that, then you might walk away from the book saying, no, I don't think it's actually about the, first, uh, the, the, the second 35 years of the, of, of, uh, the A.D. time frame. Um, so you've got to approach Revelation with an open mind. That's what this podcast is about. That's what this uh, teaching is about. And so a couple things to review. What is Revelation? Remember, the very first page tells us what it is. It's right there in verse 1, chapter 1, the revelation of what? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so it's not the roadmap to the end times. It's not the, uh, you know, the personal decoder ring, secret decoder ring for who's the Antichrist. And we talked about this in week one. And so it's really, if you don't walk away from Christian, if you don't, sorry, if you don't walk away from Revelation saying, I know Jesus better, then you might not have read it right. That's good, yeah. Because right there on the very first page, it's saying, no, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Uh, And so it says also this, which God gave him to show his God gave to who? To Jesus to show his servants the things that soon the, soon, the things that soon must take place, must soon take place. And then it says this, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And so lots of words here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and I have my little magic pen here. Thanks be to Apple right here. Let's see if we can get this done. Right there, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, so it's God-given. And this word right here, these three words in English are actually one word in Greek. And the word is a word that refers to signs or symbols. Mm. All right, so we're multitasking over here on the desk. All right, and so what you have to understand is on the very first phrase, the very first statement made by the book of Revelation is, this is a book of signs. This is a book of symbols. Mm-hmm. This is not a book of um, literal descriptions of things. Dragons and, <laughs> coming out of the ocean. Exactly. Because yes. we got a dragon waiting to eat a baby, a mother's baby. Godzilla. Okay. I don't see that all the time. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else does, waiting. except for Disney movies. But I don't see that usually. And I was just going to make this clear because we have to realize that the Bible is filled with symbols. The Bible's filled 
with symbols. For instance, who wrote the book of Revelation? Studio audience, who wrote it? John, right? Well, John wrote another book. Does anybody know what that book is called? John. John. <laughs> okay, and John. in the book of John, there's symbols. Mm. And people don't even think about it because we're so, we're so baptized into the <coughs> Christian mindset. It's like, of course, of course we know what that means. But out, stand outside of the Christian mindset and read some of the things that John says. For instance, John says this in John 10, 7. Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. door. Yeah. Okay, he's not saying I'm a literal door. This is a symbol. Yeah. This is a symbol for, pe- for Jesus saying, I am the one who is the way into the house. What house? God's house. So these things, these symbols, even Jesus used symbols, and John used and recorded Jesus' symbols to refer to himself. They help us see something that is behind a thing. In John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus says, right. I am the living bread. Now, bread is not typically alive. It has been cut down and mm-hmm. meshed together with flour and water and put into an oven and cooked to death and then served <laughs> on a platter. It is not alive, okay? It is very much dead. But Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And then he says this crazy line, right? Take, take yourself out of the Christian mindset and what you've been taught because you've been a Christian for so long for a second and just think about these words. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh, And in fact, when Jesus first said this, this is when many people walk away from Jesus because they say this teaching is hard. Hard You're talking about cannibalism. I mean, think about the the, the reality here is that um, in the first century, the early church was accused by Romans um, for being three things, actually the kind of three funny things. Number one, they were accused of being atheists. Uh, right. The early church was accused of being atheists by the Roman by the Roman world because they didn't believe in the Roman gods, mm-hmm. and so they said, "Well, you don't believe in the real gods because you don't believe in our gods, so you're atheists." Secondly, they were they were accused of being um, incestuous, and the reason there was because they called everybody brother and sister, right? And then they were marrying each other, yep. and so the whole church is like the the, the Roman world is looking at them like these are a bunch of weirdos. They're marrying their sisters. What's going on <laughs> over here? Incestuous Christians. What a bunch of freaks! And then they also accused them of being cannibals. Because when they gathered together, they said, we were eating the, the body of our Lord. And so they accused the church of being cannibals. But what were, they, what were they unaware of? They were unaware of what? Symbolism. Symbols, yeah. The symbolism of the message. And so you have to realize that when you go to the book of Revelation, the symbols are there to point you to something that is actually really there. Mm. And remember that I said this about Revelation. It's good to remember, remember these things as we get into the apocalypse. Um, Revelation is about what is most real. And so you deal with, you know, tangible things, flesh and blood. You deal with material and matter and space and time. But revelation is about what is behind those things. And so the more that you are aware of what's behind what you see as a Christian, the more stable you are, the more rooted and grounded you are, the less thrown off course because of what you see in the world you are, because you know what's really going on, not just what you hear is going on. So before we look ahead, to the book of Revelation chapter 6, we're going to look back. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the fact that true worship always has caused friction. Hmm. Now remember Revelation chapter 4, throne room of heaven. What's happening there? Worship. Worship. Yeah, lots and lots of worship. Everybody's worshiping God the Father, Revelation chapter 4. Then Revelation chapter 5, it talks about Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who, when John turns and looks, he sees a lamb looking like it was slain. And then it talks about the fact that he redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue for himself to be a kingdom and priest. And then they worship Jesus. So they worship God the Father, and they worship Jesus and the seven spirits before the throne, the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth. And what you see 
uh, encapsulating heaven is worship. And now I also said that revelation is the unveiling as heaven invades earth. The number three, the number for heaven, invading earth. The number four, three plus four equals seven. The number uh, that is key to the book of Revelation. So as heaven, worship, invades earth, four, that you get the completion of God's work in the earth and worship happens. How does worship happen? Worship happens when God changes a human heart and people celebrate who he is because he has changed them. He has transformed them. How many of our baptism testimonies, that's the story that we oh, see. so many. Their hearts are changed. Their lives are changed. They're yeah. happy. They want to be. They don't have to go to church. Like if you have to go to church, you're religious. If you want to go to church, there's a good chance you're saved. Right. Amen. If you have to go to church, if somebody has to drag you there, kicking and screaming, yeah. you probably have not yet received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the heart change that he brings. But if you love to go to church and you want to be there, good chance you got saved. You got God touched your heart, changed you and made you a worshiper. And what happens with worship? And we know this from the beginning of time. True worship of God has always created friction between those who worship him and those who don't. Mm. Where does this happen first? Guess where it happens? Uh, in the four, garden. Four chapters in. Four chapters in, we get these two guys, right? Cain and Cain Abel. Cain and Abel, yeah. Right? And what happens? Cain and Abel. Sorry, hold on a second. Let me skip ahead. Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel brings uh, the firstborn of his flocks to God. And it says this, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, Cain who brought in the course of time, that's, a, that's the biblical way of saying when he got around to it. Yeah. Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, but Abel brought a lifeblood offering, a, 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 a lamb, so to speak. And so Abel's offering uh, proclaims the final offering, Jesus, lifeblood, but Cain's offering is the fruit of the ground in the course of time. And so God regards Abel's offering, his worship, and he doesn't regard Cain's offering. And so what happens? Cain gets angry. Cain gets angry at who? He gets angry at God, but ultimately he takes it out on who? He takes it on Abel. Brother, yeah. And then he kills Abel. Okay, so now this is the very first thing that happens after the fall. And it's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing because it's telling us about how the world is going to unfold because of sin. Yeah. And here's what's going to happen. In the course, throughout the course of history, here's what's going to happen. God is going to touch hearts. People are going to come to him and worship him. And those who do not respond to God and those who do not want to do life on God's term, they are going to hate those who do. Yeah. And this has been happening from the foundations of humankind. And so it causes friction. True worship to this day causes friction, causes friction between uh, three kinds of people, the, um, the believer and the unbeliever, because the unbeliever looks at Christians and says, you guys are crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, don't take that stuff so seriously. What's wrong with you? Like, seriously, go to church all the time? No. You know, you, you do the little thing, you take your little first communion, then you move on with your life. Right. But the, the idea that you should be, just be like in church and you should, you know, really love this or, or, or um, the idea of giving 10% of your money to the church. Are you crazy? What's mm -hmm. wrong with you? That's, that's, that's not even right. That's not even moral. Like, I mean, I've heard non-believers say things like oh, yeah. that. That's not moral. Uh, one time I had a conversation with a non-believer, and I remember I was talking to him, and he said, you know, in our house, and, and his wife was a believer, he wasn't a believer, and he said, look, in our house, it's the kids first. And I said, well, you know, honestly, it should be God first. And yeah. when I said that, it was, almost, it was almost like I was speaking a foreign language. It's like, I was like, what, what are you talking about? God first. The kids first. The kids are hey, God. God when you get around to it. But the kids, all about the kids. I'm like, yeah. hey, man, those kids are going to be in your house for 18 years. 
and then they're going to be gone, or 20 years, or today is like 30 years. But eventually, they're going to be gone. <laughs> so ho- hopefully, they're going to be gone, right? In the but <laughs> anyway, the idea here, though, is that there's going to be friction between the believer and the unbeliever. Third, secondly, there's going to be friction between the believer and the state. Mm, yeah. Why? And nobody ever puts this together. The reason why the state has typically, not in this country so far so good, knock on Formica, it might be changing, but not so... You know, there's wood. But it's not so, not so much in this country, but in almost every other country, there's friction between true Christian faith and the state. And the reason why is because Christianity demands allegiance to something higher than the state. Right. And so the state automatically sees Christianity as a threat. A threat to what? Its power, its control, its sovereignty, its mm-hmm. taxes, so on and so forth. Right. And so there's friction between the believer and the state. And then thirdly, there's friction between the Christian and the important people, quote unquote, of the age. This has always been the case. Mm-hmm. Always been the case. The kings and the rulers of the earth have had a problem with God-fearing people since Egypt. Actually, even before Egypt. They've always had a problem with them because they represent um, a belief system that actually counters uh, their idea that they are the most important thing in people's lives. Yeah. So this is why Pharaoh... The first thing that he says to Pharaoh, the, the first thing that Pharaoh says to Moses is what? Who is the Lord? Like the question is like, who is the Lord? Because in, according to religious, the religious principles of Egypt, he was the Lord. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you God. talking about? Who is, who is the Lord? I'm the Lord. I'm the one who's the God of these people. And that's what they believed in Egypt. And, and some of these Israelites believe that too. So true worship always causes friction between you, Christian, and the unbeliever, the state, and the important people, and there's really very little that you can do to undo that friction. There's really very little because they're always going to have a little latent hostility because they know, they know that that worship of yours represents a truth that they don't want to face, and that is that they are accountable to a holy and righteous God. Yeah. So. Would that be like the celebrities these days, I wonder? Some, uh, some, but you know, I don't want to lump everybody into one yeah, like more thing. But there's, yeah, there's some celebrities that are like that. There's yeah. a lot of good Christian celebrities as well. You know, yeah. like Chris Pratt. Oh yeah, really love cool, loved his what? I mean, seems like a pretty cool guy. I don't know him personally, yeah, but his speech that he gave a couple months ago was great. The speech at uh, the VMAs. The Ten rules of yeah, Chris Pratt or whatever. Yeah. yeah, what was one of them? Oh, you don't remember? Goodness, but no. anyway, he threw Jesus in there a bunch. But he yeah. did. He threw Jesus, and then he in talked there. about poop. So it was yeah, poop. He, yes, he's all over the place. Okay, I can say that, can I? This conversation is derailed. And please move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to Revelation. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> my last week here. Thank you. We 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 say all that as a uh, as a preface to what we're going into with Revelation chapter six, because as we look at these apocalyptic events, we're going to see that that friction starts to heat up. Okay, let's look at it. First, white horse. Can we get the shot over here on the other um, whiteboard? whiteboard? Yes, we've got the horses over there. Those are some good-looking horses, by the way. Colored up for us, yes. The white horse in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Okay, let's run down the views of these horses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we go to the Preterist view, AD 70, before AD 70, this is not necessarily a bad horse. First off, and pretty much all the views see this, the horse is white. Right. Uh, the rider of the horse uh, has a crown. And so, and he has a bow, uh, and he comes out 
conquering and to conquer. And so actually the Preterist views this as uh, the Roman emperor Nerva, who was known, who was a Cretan, and they were known for their bows and arrows, their archers, I guess. Uh, and he actually was a Roman emperor during a time in which Christianity exploded across the Roman world. Right, yeah. <clears throat> now, the future, and by the way, the historicist uh, agrees there. So that that white horse is Jesus's gospel going at Jesus, the crowned white horse rider is going out in the world and he is making converts. He is conquering and he comes to conquer. Now that is an image that is strange when you consider Christianity, like to be conquered by Jesus. And a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. You know, they think, oh, I've come to Jesus. But think about it. What do we say when we come to Jesus? A lot of people say this. They say, I, what? I Surrendered. Yeah. yeah. Surrendered my life right. to Jesus Christ. Surrender is a war term. Yeah. I give up. Yeah. Like, right? And think about this. When we worship, what are we doing? Putting the hands up. We're, we're raising Surrendering. our hands. Yeah. Jesus, Paul says, I want men with holy hands lifted up everywhere. In other words, I want men everywhere to surrender to Jesus. Mm. And what we don't think about when it comes to Jesus is that's exactly what he does. He conquers your heart. Right. He conquers the fact that you are at odds with God. Yeah. And he takes over. <laughs> that's the other thing. He takes over your life. And so you surrender. So this is the preterist historicist, historicist view. The futurist uh, sees it still the writer is Christ. Uh, again, last seven years uh, of human history, the tribulation. Uh, but here he's not conquering in a good sense. Here, the, the future says Coming he's just... Back. Yeah, he's opening a can. Okay. He's opening a can on humans, and he's just going all over the world. Um, so that's the futurist uh, view. And then the spiritual uh, view, the spiritualist or idealist view, is that he is conquering, again, the gospel throughout human history. Think about it like just an overarching principle is this. Jesus is going to conquer men's hearts. Jesus is coming out conquering. He comes out of the grave conquering. And then he comes to conquer men's hearts and bring them into a right relationship with his father. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Uh, and so that's the first horse of the apocalypse. Now, uh, that leads to the second horse mm -hmm. of the apocalypse. So right. here we go with verse 3. And verse 3, it says this. When he opened the second seal, I heard the, sec I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse. This one is bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Not just a sword, but a great sword. That word, uh, great sword, I'm underlining it here because, or circling it here because it's an important word. Here, let me just do that better. It's an important word here in this text. Uh, okay, so the historicist, let's talk with the, start with the historicist. Uh, they view this guy as Commodus, uh, the Roman emperor, all the way up to Diocletian, and these guys, um, these emperors from Commodus to Diocletian from a period of about 180 A.D. to about 284 A.D., this was a tremendous period of civil war within the Roman Empire. In fact, at one point, the Roman Empire was divided into four parts uh, during that span of history. And so there's great civil war, and notice what it says. He comes, he takes peace from the earth, and the wording is is intentional there so that people should slay one another. Mm. It almost infers civil war, right? Like this is not one right. nation conquering another nation. This is a nation within itself just at odds. And so uh, that's the historicist view. The preterist view um, believes that 
again, before AD 70, the Preter's view believes that this is Rome uh, coming into Jerusalem, sieging the city, and it is uh, God's judgment for the Jews' rejection of Jesus. And so the Jews lose their city, they lose their autonomy, they lose their nation, they lose their temple. Why? Because they rejected Jesus, and the Romans eventually just come in. And by the way, there's a Roman historian, not a Roman historian, I'm sorry, a Jewish historian named Josephus, mm-hmm. who writes about the siege in Jerusalem, and it is brutal. Yeah. He talks about it's just, it's, it's one of the worst descriptions of human experience you have ever read in your life. Um, but Jesus talks about this in, in Luke chapter 19. He says, The days will come upon you, in verse 43, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear, down, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Mm-hmm. So the preterist says that's just Jesus' words from Luke coming, pa- coming to pass because the very people to whom Jesus said that to would have experienced that judgment because they rejected him as the living word of life. Sure. The futurist, of course, uh, would take that to be um, wars, uh, the wars and rumors mm-hmm. of wars that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23, war during the tribulation, uh, the tensions of our current time kind of testify to this. If you think about uh, the 20th century, uh, historians to this day call the 20th century the century of blood. Yeah. You think about two world wars mm-hmm. uh, and how many other genocides, uh, the Soviet Union, which slaughtered, I think, 60 million people. Uh, Mao's China, which slaughtered uh, 20 million people of their own people. Yeah. Uh, Stalin, Mao, uh, Pol Pot, Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge. All the, I mean, all these things in one century, the century of blood. Uh, a lot of, again, back when Hal Lindsey was big in the church world, everybody was like, yeah, that's definitely the red horse right there. Sure. He's just coming out to kill a lot of people, and there's blood flowing everywhere. In fact, Hal Lindsey called the red horse Russia, uh, attacking Israel with Arab allies. And then the large sword or great sword that is referenced here is actually, he thought that was the nuclear bomb. Oh, wow. Which was an interesting sure. view. Again, a lot of the events of the 20th century opened the door for the futurist view because yeah. it was a very violent century. People don't think that, but it was. And it was, by the way, on the heels of the Enlightenment and on the heels of the great scientific advancements and on the heels of Darwin evolution theory, and then you get the bloodiest century of human history. That is not a coincidence. Right. That is not a coincidence. So this, the futurist sees it that way. The spiritual uh, view of the red horse here uh, is that this... <clears throat> this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Now think about it. If the red horse symbolizes civil division or civil war, think about what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Guess what? Same Greek word here for sword okay. as in Revelation chapter 6, verse 4. Jesus' sword. And, and by the way, why do I say the same Greek word? Because... Uh, in the sword of the spirit, which is uh, Ephesians chapter mm-hmm. six, the armor of God, sword of the spirit, right? Yep. The word there is for a small sword. Okay. But uh, in Matthew ten thirty four, and here in Revelation six four, wow. large sword. And Jesus is saying, my message is going to divide some people. By the way, he goes on in, t- in Matthew ten uh, chapter ten, and he says, I'm going to set a mother against her wow. children, yep. a father against his sons. A man's enemies will be the members of his own family. Family, yep. right? Two, and four, three against. Yeah, and that's when he says, uh, um, "If you hate your, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it." Yeah. 
Jesus divides. Yeah. People don't think that, but he does. Like like this this mantra of Jesus makes everybody love each other all the time. All about love. That's that's the worldly mentality. That's mm-hmm. Lady Gaga just did that a couple of days ago. Did I don't know. She, she yeah. criticized Mike Pence because he said something that she didn't like. I think yeah. it was obviously about homosexuality or something like that. Anyway. But um she who calls she calls herself a Christian and she said, No, the Christianity that I know, everybody's yeah. welcome all the time. Yeah, 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 right. You mm-hmm. know, the God that like, I know. Okay, the, does that mean that you know the, the Muslims who permit their wives to be beaten by their husbands, mm. are they welcome into your Christianity? <laughs> like with love. You know, you can't right. You can't you can't make the argument that Christianity brings uh, total peace to the earth. It doesn't. It brings peace between men and God. Yeah. And peace between people of different cultures who also have been conquered by the love of Jesus, right? right? Uh, and so the, the ultimate reality that Revelation is t- teaching us here is that as Jesus, now think about this, white horse, Jesus comes and conquers, red horse, Jesus, as he conquers some men's hearts, inevitably creates division mm-hmm. between men and men, yeah. uh, family members and so on and so forth. So then we come to the third horse, uh, the third seal and the black horse uh, of the apocalypse. Uh, Revelation chapter six, verse five says this. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and I, and I looked and behold a black horse and his rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay. Uh, we can do this real fast. All four views of Revelation see the black horse as exactly what it is, famine. Mm-hmm. The black horse is famine, and um, some say uh, uh, massive food shortages. Now, the historicist has an argument here for his view because under the reign of Emperor, and I'm going to try to say this right, Emperor Caracalla, he viciously taxed the citizens. Mm-hmm. Like, he enormously taxed the citizens. Aca- uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would be totally cool with this guy. Because he, he no billionaires. crushed the empire. No billionaires. Yeah, crushed the empire with taxes. Um, ev- uh, his overtaxation led to landowners deliberately reducing their grain production wow. so that they would avoid the high taxation. Wow. Uh, this brought famine to the empire. People said, I'm not going to produce a lot of food because I'm going to get severely taxed. They found a loophole, just like they do these days. <laughs> yeah. really well, they couldn't back then because they were swords. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, <clears throat> this is the idea, though, that God still used that to bring judgment upon the earth. That's what the historicist says. The preterist, of course... The preterist is going to say this is the famine that came into the city of Jerusalem because of the siege of the Romans around the city. Um, and Jesus definitely describes that in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, again, remember I said Josephus writes about the siege of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And this is in AD 70. Uh, mothers, Josephus reports, mothers ate their babies. Yeah, they were so hungry yeah. uh, in the days of the Jerusalem siege. And then uh, the futurists, of course, they see this as... Just famine. The worldwide wars are breaking out, and so famine comes upon the earth, and that just makes way. Of course, the futurists would say, whenever you have a severe famine, it gives an opportunity for a world leader to come to the fore and provide the solution. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that um, you know there was an argument made by Bill Maher. This is a funny thing. Oh boy, Bill Maher a couple of months ago said, "I am hoping for a." national yeah. depression, recession, right. so that Trump gets voted out of office right. 
so that we can get, he says, so that we can get the dictator out of office, give us a recession. But history proves the opposite. Yeah. History proves that it's usually in global recessions when a dictator comes and, and takes over a country. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to look very far. We can look at Venezuela. Uh, as little as a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, uh, that, that fell into that mindset. Let's, we need somebody to save us from this hideous economic you know, imp- impoverishment, right. and it just makes a way for people to just say yes to anybody, and they get, they get the devil. <laughs> you know, they get somebody sure. who's going to completely rob them of their freedoms. Um, but anyway, that's what the future says. The future says this global famine is going to make way for the dictator, uh, the Antichrist world leader, to come to the fore and take... Uh, authority over the kings of the earth. The spiritist, let's talk about what the spiritist says. Uh, spiritist, again, is an idealist view that whenever God is rejected and his people are harmed uh, because of the civil war between believers and unbelievers, remember the friction? Believers always have friction with unbelievers. And because there's going to be war on the saints, and by the way, this, let's backtrack a little bit, uh, in regards to that friction between believers and unbelievers, Believers are never called to be the aggressor. Right. Okay. So, and, and history should prove us correct here. Although I know there have been some small instances where Christians have been the aggressors, and that is unbiblical. The biblical response to that aggression is Christians do not respond. They do not retaliate viciously. They do not, they do not, do they, they do not repay evil for evil, right. as the Scripture teaches us. And so as that happens under horse two... As the civil war comes out and people attack God's people, God judges those people. And what does he do? He judges them with famine. Mm -hmm. He judges them with hardship. And and that goes back to Yemen, which we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Like Yemen is one of the most religiously intolerant Muslim countries in the world. And its people are impoverished and and they're experiencing a national drought, a national problem. And so on and on and on it goes. Throughout human history, that is God's people are persecuted that God will bring judgment upon that nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if you look throughout history, where you see God's people free to worship Christ, you see a prosperous economy and a happier people. Yeah, You can look at Europe over the last 400 years. You can look at our country, this great country. People say, what's the secret to this great country? This great country's secret is the freedom of Christians to worship and spread the gospel of Jesus. Right. Where you have the gospel of Jesus spread, you have more generosity. You have more kindness. You have more forgiveness. You have, you have more patience because the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work in people's hearts. Yeah. Uh, and so the Spiritist just looks at this and says, the black famine horse is a judgment of God upon nations that oppress God's, uh, God's people. Uh, by the way, let me just make a point to you about this. Famine comes to nations... Uh, as a judgment of God. Mm -hmm. This is why Jesus spent so much time talking about greed and money. And he did. He talked about it all the time. He said, beware, watch out, be on your guard against all manner of grief. And the reason why, and I'm fully convinced of this, the reason why Jesus spends so much time teaching his disciples to watch out for greed is for those seasons when famine comes upon the earth where they live so that they will learn not to freak out, they will learn not to serve the gods of money, and they will trust him in the hardship and to know that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? Yeah. That's just, to me, that's why he teaches us so much about money. Don't trust in money. Tomorrow could be another 
2008. Yeah, stock market can drop, and then what? We don't know. Yeah, no promises, no guarantees. Put your trust and your hope in Him, and He will provide. He will care for His chosen ones. Um, Seal number four. Let's go there. Pale horse. Here's what it says. uh, Verse seven. When He opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature say, Come, and behold, a pale horse, and his rider's name was Death and Hades which followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, and pestilence by wild beasts of the earth. Okay, mm. let's go over these real quick. The historicist sees this uh, as the um, barbarian invasion of Rome. Uh, during the barbarian invasion of Rome, which happens around the uh, mid-third century, uh, estimates are 5,000 people a day wow. were being put to death by the barbarians day. in Rome. By, wow. uh, per day. Wow. How long did that go on for? <laughs> uh, several, several years. I'm not wow. sure if it was over a decade. But their estimates are it's entirely possible that not just a fourth, but almost a half of the world's yeah. population was put to death during this time. Wow. Uh, so scripture comes true. John is writing this well before the third century, yep. you know, and is coming true. So that's the historicist uh, view. The preterist, which again, believes before eighty seventy. again, what are they going to call this? The Roman siege of Jerusalem. Right. Everything <laughs> so when goes the, back to the yeah, Romans. When the Romans come in and attack Jerusalem and they put to death all the people who rejected Jesus, the, the, that's what this is. That's what verse 7 and 8 are. Yeah. The futurist says, uh, basically, um, again, I was raised with this view, uh, death and hell is just unleashed on the world. Uh, during the Great Tribulation, some people put this in the second half of the Tribulation, although there's some dispute about that with the futurists. Uh, a fourth of the earth would be a, lar- a number larger than Noah's day. So consider that wow. uh, Noah's day, the whole earth is wiped out except for eight people. But in this moment of cataclysmic judgment, a fourth of the earth is larger than that number. Jesus' words would be coming true. Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Yeah. So that's the futurist view of Revelation 7 and 8. And then the spiritual view, the last one, Pale Horse uh, summarizes the four horsemen's uh, inevitable uh, reality. After you have, after you have uh, Jesus winning souls, and causing civil unrest because people will reject that and hate his people, and then God will bring judgment and famine upon the world uh, as a response to God's to the mistreatment of his people. Uh, death and hell come to those who mistreat God's people uh, inevitably because uh, God will vindicate his chosen ones. And so uh, these four horsemen, um, the, the spiritualist actually says these four horsemen combine uh, to destroy the Roman Empire as we know it. Which brings me to verse 9. So let's look at verse 9 because this is really cool. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Okay, so the horses are done. Now we're just into the seals. Fifth seal says, they cried out with a loud voice. Who cried out? The souls of those who were slain for the word of God. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Okay, so the historicist says this is Diocletian. Diocletian uh, enacted the 10th and final, uh, or sorry, this is shortly after Diocletian, the 10th and final persecution uh, of Rome upon Christians. This is when they were feeding them to lions. This is when they were stringing them up on, onto, onto stakes and burning them at the stake. Uh, this is when they were, it was Roman sport to watch Christians being eaten alive in the Colosseum. Yeah. 
Uh, amazingly now today, if you go to the Roman Colosseum, you will see right where the emperor sat as those Christians were eaten alive by lions. You know what sits right in the place where the emperor actually sat? A cross. I was going to say a cross. Yeah. <laughs> a cross wow. sits right where the emperor would sit and watch uh, Christians be eaten cool. uh, at, at the sport of Rome. Uh, today, uh, Jesus conquered. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, they see that this is the, the, the saints who died during that um, persecution, crying out for vindication. It was a hideous time for Christians in the empire, although not to be overstated because Estimates are a very small percentage of the Christian population actually did die for their faith. Even though they were brutal, they were brutal tactics, brutal regime. Uh, they were, you know, obviously, again, thrown to lions, eaten alive, burned alive, all that kind of okay. stuff. Very small percentage actually did die, but they were economically persecuted, they were uh, socially persecuted, so on and so forth. So that's what the uh, historicist sees here. The preterist says that these, again, are the Christians who died under Jewish persecution in the early days of the church. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Yep. And just because Paul converts, don't think for one second that persecution in the name of the Jewish faith against Christians stopped with Paul. It definitely went on right. further. Uh, and many Christians were ostracized by their Jewish brothers. Now, remember, this is a Jewish bro- This was a Jewish conflict. For the first 10 years of Christianity, it was all Jews. Right. And so Jews who were converting to Christ were oftentimes mistreated by the Jews who were not converted yeah. to Christ. Um, and so the, de- <clears throat> the destruction of Jerusalem, again, AD 70, would have been vindication uh, of those who suffered at the hands of Jewish believers, mm-hmm. uh, non-believers. The Futurist says that these are the souls of the faithful witnesses killed for the cause of Christ during the tribulation. Uh, Dispensationalists see this as a time after the rapture, um, and so on and so forth. Mm. The Spiritualist says these are the souls who have died throughout human history Mm. for the cause of Christ. Uh, These are all the martyrs of God from uh, Stephen until whoever just most recently died in China or in India right now. Right. Uh, and they are calling out for vindication, and they are told, wait a little longer. White robe, obviously, you're thinking they're already in heaven in the presence of the Lord. Wait a little longer. Rest. Uh, rest refers to our death uh, and our sleep in Christ uh, until our bodies are, is, is resurrected. Um, and there is still more to die for the faith until Jesus comes again. Hmm. So that's the fifth seal. Last seal we're going to deal with today is number six. And let's just take a look at this. This is really cool. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now remember I said Revelation is about symbols. No more is that important than right here. Because okay. watch what happens. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood, the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for great, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Okay. Symbols. A lot of symbols. <laughs> what, the sky? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about, first we're going to go with the futurist because the futurist says, this is what it is. This is literally what it is. And so literally there's a huge earthquake. Literally the stars of the sky fall to the earth. Literally the sky is rolled up like a scroll. Um, And that's the futurist view. Literally what's happening here, as being said, is literally happening. By the way, there's another blood moon on the way. 
Did anybody know? Does anybody know that? Oh, another one coming big, around big the corner. Big news in the Christian news. Okay. Uh, sector. Another blood moon, and guess what? Another pastor is saying, this is this a sign. Is it. This is it. <laughs> yep. like every time we get a blood moon. It's coming back. <laughs> so anyway, there it is. Moon becomes like blood. And they believe that this is a literal uh, experience that will happen. The historicists and the preterists and the spiritualists, okay, I'm going to really summarize all okay. this real quick, 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 are pretty much in the same camp. Symbols. Symbols. Yeah. Because if you are to interpret the symbols of revelation properly, question, mm -hmm. where should you go to find out what those same symbols referred to ooh, in other ooh. places? Where? The Bible? Yeah. Gee, the, Bi the rest of the Bible. Sure. What happened when Jesus was, was on the cross? Some of those things, right? Some of those things happened. Yeah. But... In the Old Testament, which, which contained apocalyptic literature right. in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, guess who they refer to as the sun, mm. the moon, the stars, world leaders. Right, right. Nebuchadnezzar Ooh, was called the going. star. Um, the king of Tyre in Isaiah 38, I believe, or Isaiah 14, one of the two, says that he was the son of the morning. Mm. Obviously, a, a, a uh, uh, dual reference to the king of Tyre and... Satan, we believe that scripturally is accurate. The son of the morning. Um, I already said, Pharaoh considered himself the son of God, and he referred to himself as the son. He was the incarnate, you know, the sun in the sky. He was the incarnate incarnation of the sun. Mm -hmm. And so when you read this, now think about this. When you think about the fact that, that God is using these symbols of creation to refer to people in powerful positions, read it again. There's a great earthquake. Mm. There's a great earthquake. Why? Because Jesus comes to conquer. He divides mm. famine, death and hell and judgment. Guess what happens to nations when that stuff happens? They get shaken. The, the things on which they stand starts to quake. The political status quo starts to shake. Like You think about America is America, but it wasn't always America. It was a colony of Britain. Right. But because of the, the Declaration of Independence and because of a lot of writings of Christians who were part of the founding of this country, it unearthed or it upended the hold of Britain on this country. Yeah. And you can go back before that and you can go back uh, before uh, Britain was Britain, back before uh, Rome was Rome. Wherever the gospel, think about this, this is so cool, wherever the gospel has been preached, those four horses have ridden out into that nation, those four things have happened and there's a political upheaval. And suddenly people are not friendly with the state. And yeah. suddenly the state... Nowhere is this more um, historically accurate than in Rome itself. Because shortly after the pale horse of death in Hades uh, and Diocletian, who enacts the greatest persecution of Christians in Roman history, the next emperor is Constantine. Mm. And Constantine yeah. looks at the Roman Empire and says, I can't stop these Christians from growing. And I need to fight this war. So I got an idea. Mm. I'm going to become a Christian yeah. and give them legal status so that they can help me win this war. I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's what it was. It was a political calculation right. for Constantine. Sure. Was he a devout Christian? We don't know. He was an Aryan, so he probably wasn't a devout Christian. But nonetheless, the point that I'm making is it upends the political status quo of a country. And this is what the gospel does. The mm. gospel, and I said this in week one of this, of this talk, the gospel is a political statement. It's just not a right-wing, left left, right left-wing statement. 
It's a statement that undergirds both wings, mm. uh, undercuts, I'm sorry, upends and uproots both wings to say, hey, you on the right, your money is not your money. And, and you on the left, your body is not your body. Right. You know, there's an, there's an undercutting of the political status quo when the gospel is preached, which is why the Bible begins with Cain killing Abel as a result of sin. That's always going to be the case. And so now think about this. If you read that text as if this is referring to the Roman emperor and the Senate and all the powerful structures and people throughout human history in, in nations that have persecuted Christians, think about this now. The stars of the sky fell to the earth. What happens to all great rulers? Guess what? They all die. Yeah. They all fall to the earth. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit. Think about winter as a picture of death. Right, the sky vanished mm. like a scroll. The sky is a symbol of a of a of an atmosphere, a political atmosphere. It just vanishes like a scroll being rolled up. Mountains and islands, every single one removed. All kinds of laws are changed. All kinds of standards, all kinds of morals are upended and mm-hmm. changed because of Christians in Christianity's influence. The kings of the earth. Now look at verse fifteen. The kings of the earth. So it goes right from. Yeah. The symbols of the creation, stars, sun, moon, to verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, rich, powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves and said, fallen. they wanted to just die. They're just like, oh my gosh, this is like, we can't take this anymore. And, and countless kings and countless dictators and leaders and regimes have fallen on their sword because of Christians, Christianity's influence throughout human history. Hmm. I just think that's cool. It, I, we need it, an it all moment. It all, it all, because yeah. yeah. Ooh. There we go. <laughs> Thank you so much, loving audience over here. I think you ch- I think I might have changed my mind during this podcast a little bit. Well, that's the question I have yeah. for you. What What would you say? What am I? Do you? I that, know what you are. Can you guys are. kind of pick up which one I am? Which one am I? I know. What, what do you think, Chris? Let's start. Oh with you. well, I don't want to ruin it because I know. Okay. What do you? I know. What, what, does anybody want to? Guess Anybody have a guess? Yeah, Peggy over here. Do we have the microphone? I think you're a spiritualist. A spiritualist? Anybody else? Anybody else have any an other idea? opinions? We all think he's a spiritualist. John? John? I'm a spiritualist. Well, okay. you're a spiritualist. What do you think Pastor Tim is? <laughs> I think he's somewhere between the two. Which two? <laughs> what two? A semi spiritualist. <laughs> semi spiritualist and semi what? What's the other half of me? Oh. <laughs> Does anybody think Pastor you're on anything it. but a You're on to it, John. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Are you, you're a spiritualist. How about who, who here is what? Do you guys want to share? Who wants to share? No, no judgment. I'm a spiritualist, you're a spiritualist, but I used to be a futurist. Yeah? Uh, anybody else? Welcome Jacob? Home. Um, probably more along the, um, the mix of the last three, historists, futurists, Spiritualists. I mean, there's elements of all of them. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. Would you say that's like a 33% across the board, or yeah. is there like uh, a. Yeah. <laughs> probably something Equal. Yeah. And, yeah. Anybody else want to venture into this? I like this. Like yeah. the feedback. This has been a long podcast already, but we'll get to the end here. Um, full disclosure, I am a John, you were like right yeah. on. You were, I thought you were going to nail it. I'm 50% historist and 50% spiritualist. That's my view of. Okay. The book of Revelation. So, so I, you sold me with the spirits today. I always thought I was more of a historist. Is, am I saying that right? Historist. Thank you. Historicist. Um, the, that one. Yeah. Um, but today, everything you were saying to me leaned more towards the spiritualist. And uh, I see all the spiritual symbolic yeah. symbols throughout yeah. it that make just perfect sense. Now, my grandfather, who was a pastor for 30 years, 
last century would be rolling in his grave if he uh-huh. heard me say this. <laughs> well, he's up in heaven. So, you know, yeah, he was a hardcore futurist, you know, like the Hal Lindsey generation, much of the Hal Lindsey generation. Yeah. Was. A lot of that has to do with, and some of the audience, I can see you guys nodding, you know what it has to, it has everything to do with 1948, the establishment of Israel mm. uh, as a nation state again. In one day. Uh, in one day. Yeah. And, uh, um, 70 years. It's been 70 years now. Right. And so right. Uh, they're like really amped up because Jesus says that the generation that sees these things come to pass will not will not pass away. Before generation the end is of the almost time. over. Yeah. yeah. So that generation is 70 years old now. Wow. Uh, and so that's what they believe about about um, the uh, the state of things with the book of Revelation. I'm just not there anymore. I was. I was there, but then I read the book of Revelation. <laughs> like, again, if you read it, if you read it and you say, let me read it without being told how to read it, mm. some things start to open up for you, which becomes pretty cool. Now, by the way, the spiritualist is totally cool with the futurist view because it could just happen again. Yeah, There's cycles in redemption yeah. history, right? There's cycles of uh, you have Noah, then you have Abraham, then you have David, then you have Mary and Joseph, family. Family, 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 family used to save humanity from death and hell, right? Sure. It repeats. The cycle repeats. The cycle of uh, salvation. Even Egypt becomes a symbol. Mm. Abraham goes to Egypt, comes back. Joseph comes down to Egypt, comes back. Uh, Solomon goes down to Egypt, gets horses, comes back. So that cycle repeats throughout the biblical history. Mm -hmm. There's repetitive cycles and I am totally cool with, I've just shared the four horsemen could be one final seven-year cycle of it again right. to wipe out the rest of the earth and bring about a cataclysmic judgment. So, Jacob, you're right on there with being, you know, right down with all three of those yeah. uh, views. I definitely think that the weakest might be the preterist yeah. view, in my opinion. But it's limited. If you were living in 8070, sure. you'd be like, no, there's no other view. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's my thoughts. Revelation is a worship of God over creation, worship of God's creation, worship of God's redemption in Revelation 5, and then Revelation 6 is this, the response of a world hostile to God and heaven inv- uh, as he invades earth and, the, and hearts are turned to worship him. So the response of a world hostile to God and heaven... I'm sorry, this is a badly worded. I'm sorry, I should have worded this better. The response of a world hostile to God as heaven invades earth and hearts are turned to worship him. So that should say, that should say as. Okay, just change it. I do have as. one quick question if you have time. <laughs> yes. It says uh, this is called the seven seals, but only six were open. Yeah, we got one more. Okay. We got one more. That's next week. Come back what, next yeah. week on the what deep happens, end. Yeah, actually, next week we're talking about what happens to God's people as this stuff unfolds because that is uh, the seventh seal and the 144,000. Who are they? Mm. We'll talk about that uh, next week on the deep end. Let me just finish this up. Again, remember Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The gospel brings division as Christ conquers men's hearts. Uh, division will upend families, nations, and kingdoms. Uh, economies will be radically affected, and ultimately those who trust in Christ will be vindicated. And we'll find out about that next week here on The Deep End. Hey, if you have a question, uh, you can submit it through text. We will someday get to these questions, 508-316-9333. Every week you can join us. Make sure you log on facebook.com slash TV. Click to like us so that we're always notified as when we're live. YouTube.com slash Church. Search The Deep End channel or... Just go to thedeepend.tv on your web browser, and you can find out how to su- how to subscribe, how to follow us. We're so glad that you were here, uh, studio audience. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> Thank you so much. Excellent Thank you for job. being here. Thank you for joining us. See you next week on the Deep End. <laughs>